0: joining us at the Arizona Daily Stars opinion page podcast. The point being, we are here with Congresswoman Ann Kirkpatrick, District Director Ron Barber, and uh, folks from um, the Arizona Daily Star and uh, Congresswoman Kirkpatrick's office. We're gonna talk about things that are going on. There's a lot to talk about, but first let's introduce ourselves. I'm Sarah Garrett-Gasson, the opinion editor, and to my left is...
1: I'm Edward Celaya, the opinion writer here at the Daily Star. John De Orlando, President and Publisher.
0: Uh, Ron, would you like to...
1: Ron Barber, District Director for Congresswoman Kirkpatrick.
0: Okay. And Kirkpatrick, <laughs> Congresswoman. Great. Well, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us. I know we've tried to do this previously, but it was... I can't even imagine your schedule. So, <laughs> so thank you for making time. You're welcome. Um, So what has been going on in Washington? A lot is going
2: on. Uh, Let me just say my top legislative priority for Arizona is being a voice on the Appropriations Committee. So I campaigned on being on the Appropriations Committee. It's what they call an exclusive committee, so it's very difficult to get on to appropriations. So the week after the election, I went back to Washington, D.C., met with all the members of what they call the Steering and Policy Committee. So the Steering and Policy Committee is a group of members appointed by Speaker Pelosi to make committee assignments. Uh, and I lobbied them for for about two weeks. Uh, I wanted to be on appropriations, but because of this district, I wanted to be on the Defense Appropriations Subcommittee, and I finally got it. But I will tell you, it was a night and day process. I wrote letters. I made phone calls. I made personal visits. I ran people down in the hall. Uh, it's a very difficult committee t- to get on, and but but it's so good for Arizona to have somebody on appropriations. We had not had anybody on appropriations since Ed Pastor retired, and we lose out on federal funding. So as you know, over 80% of Arizona's land is public land. So we don't have the private property tax base that other c- countries, I'm, comp- states, <laughs> states uh, have to fund their projects like Maryland and Connecticut. Uh, uh, and so we really rely on those federal funds to, to uh, fund our critical infrastructure projects. So I'm on the transportation and infrastructure subcommittee and the defense subcommittee. So water is also a big issue for us in Arizona. So uh, worked hard to get past the drought contingency plan and, and get funding for our water projects. Uh, but also we're a border state uh, and so I've been doing probably 95% of my work now on immigration and border issues. Uh, I'm opposed to building a wall. That's a very expensive mistake. Uh, what we really need to do uh, is expand and modernize our ports of entry. So I was recently down in the town of Douglas uh, watching the congestion at the border. So you know what I saw was four lanes coming in from Mexico, converging into two lanes, and the wait time to cross – was three to four hours. Uh, and so this is affecting commerce and trade in southern Arizona, and it's, it's a big problem. So I'm working with uh, the mayor, Mayor Uribe in Douglas, to uh, get fa- funding to modernize the ports of entry. Uh, but also our other ports of entry, Nogales and San Luis, are in the same situation. Uh, because we really value Mexico as a trading partner. Uh, and recently I read, led a delegation of members of Congress, one from the Appropriations Committee, one from Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, to the border because I wanted to, them to see firsthand what it looks like. So they were both from the Midwest, uh, and, and I think that what I'm finding is the farther away members of Congress are from a border, the, the less they understand about what is really going on. And the more the president's rhetoric tends to resonate with them. So I spend a lot of time on the floor of the house talking with my colleagues and saying, look, I represent the border in Arizona. What you're hearing from the press and from the administration is not what's going on. Uh, It's a safe border. Uh, We count on Mexico as a trading partner. We want a good relationship with them. Uh, we know we our governor right now today is meeting with the governor of Sonora. Uh, I think that what a great, great uh, relationship to build. So we as Arizonans on a border state understand the importance of having that really, really good relationship.
0: And that's what I spend a lot of time on. I'm curious about since you've, you have represented District 1, um, Northern Arizona up to Utah, and now you're representing District 2, what is the difference in that experience and what you hear? Yeah, there's really no difference. Okay. Uh, uh,
2: you know, the one thing is that I feel like I'm the appropriator for the whole state because I have, at this point, represented all of the state of Arizona. Uh, and so I'm, I'm listening to all the other uh, members of our delegation uh, who want appropriation requests and moving those forward for them. So I really feel like I'm just representing Arizona on the committee. Uh, and then being on the Defense Committee, uh, because this is a defense district, you know, trying to get funding for uh, the military and for Fort Huachuca. Uh, so uh, it's good. You know, I, I like my committee work. I really do. We saved the A-10. You know, we, we, we uh, uh, were able to get funding for 78 m- more F-35s. And that's all good for, for th- southern Arizona.
1: Where do you think there will be a year from now regarding immigration?
2: I, I hope that we've solved this issue by a year from now. Although, John, I have to tell you, I, the reason I ran for the for Congress in the first place was I was frustrated in the state legislature because we were passing patchwork bills to deal with immigration. And I said it has to be a comprehensive immigration policy, and that has to come from the federal government. It has to be at the federal level. I'm disappointed that we haven't gotten it done yet.
0: You, you think we can do it in a year? I
2: think we can do it in a year. Uh, we, we passed, we've passed over 400 bills out of the House that are sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk uh, and we, that he refuses to move forward. But I think if there's enough public opinion pushing for some kind of a reform, and especially what's going on right now uh, with these children, mothers, and children uh, at the border, I think that's going to capture the nation's attention and they're going to demand that something to be done. Do you think that something for a lot of people is the wall? I, I think that the, there's a, the lack of understanding is is a, a virtual wall for people, uh, and that's why we want to bring members. We want to continue to bring members of Congress to the border to actually see what's
0: happening. Does anyone ever say no? No, they don't,
2: and and the members who came uh, left. What they just they were just amazed at what they saw, and it was so different than their preconceived idea of what they were going to see. So it's it's worth the effort.
1: So as you probably know, uh, the Casalitas Welcome Center has been uh, operating over at the Pima County Juvenile Detention Center for some time now, and the county, as of two weeks ago, was waiting to hear uh, about. a I think it's about $470,000 worth of grant funding um, related to the Operation Stone Garden dollars. Can you kind of shed some light on what's sure. what's happening with those dollars? Sure,
2: and uh, let me just say um, Sister Teresa is doing just a fabulous job at Casas Olitas. I mean, she she's the only paid staff, and she has 400 volunteers uh, coming there every day. You know, we visited the monastery when they were at the monastery, people bringing in food, clothing, Blankets, whatever was necessary. Uh, they've moved to a new location that we visited. The old juvenile detention center. Uh, we vi- visited there recently. We um, we were um, in the center. We we went to the children's section, and then to the where they're holding young men. Uh, and the children's section uh, just is heartbreaking. You know, just the saddest looks on their faces that I've ever seen. Childrens with their mothers who've uh, been traumatized by the journey uh, to Arizona, to the border. They turned themselves in at ICE, uh, and then there they are. They're sitting. They don't know what's going to be happening to them. Uh, and and um, the men, a lot of them, left before, just to save their lives. Uh, but I talked with a, a man who'd walked 2,000 miles from Guatemala, Central America, with his 9-year-old daughter. And I talked to him the day they crossed into Arizona. Uh, They were at Casa Casa Salidas. And he told me that he had a good paying job in Guatemala. He was working for a banana shipping company. And the cartels came to him in the middle of the night. And then he said, if you don't turn over your paycheck every week, we're going to kill your family. So he left in the middle of the night with his nine-year-old daughter they got a ride to the border, and then they walked the 2,000 miles to Tucson. Uh, and that's how desperate it is. And I asked him, I said, you know, what, what's the status of the government in, in Guatemala? He said, there is no government. It's run by eight cartels, uh, and, and that's all there is. There is no government. And so one of the things that the Congress recently wanted to do was send financial aid to Guatemala. And so I made the point to them that, look, it's just gonna to go to fund cartels. There is no government of Guatemala. And that was a real eye-opener for them. So I feel like it's we, we bring an important voice from Southern Arizona to Congress about what's actually happening in, in to the south of us.
3: Uh, related to that, I remember in the campaign, we spoke and you said that um, Border issues per se weren't at the top of the priority list uh, of the constituents you were talking to during the campaign. That it was more kitchen table issues, I believe, is the phrase we used. Uh, do you continue to find that to be the case, or has that changed?
2: No, it has really changed. Tim. in the last year, it has really changed. And I, I didn't dream that we'd be dealing uh, with these kind of border issues a year ago, uh, but that's the reality that that we're faced with, and and. We've got to do some something that's meaningful, that's thoughtful, uh, that's c- constructive, and provides safety for these people who are crossing.
3: And when you mentioned the preconceived notions that were changed among people on this border tour, can you give any examples of what kind of preconceived notions? Yeah, they I, had they,
2: were- they had the notion that the border was a very dangerous place. Um, that if you were at the border, you were most likely going to be assaulted. Uh, you were going to be uh, robbed, uh, you were going to be maybe shot, uh, and that it was a very very dangerous place. So, that those were the ideas that they had read about in their newspapers and in their media, and then they came here and they were like, "Oh, this is very safe. This is very orderly." Um, you know, it was it was just a complete reversal of what they of what they thought they would be seeing
1: just to kind of get back to what constituents what you're hearing from constituents um then and to tim's point then that now border issues have kind of jumped maybe kitchen table issues where does impeachment fall on that list
2: yes and so impeachment is is the top issue i hear uh you know i've been doing congress on your corner one of the things that i i really wanted to do is be accessible and visible and so we've uh done six congresses on your corner and had hundreds of people show up. And almost every single one of them has said, you've got to impeach, you've got to impeach. And this has been going on since the first of the year. Uh, you've got to impeach. And so there's, there's a lot of public support for it. Uh, and, and you know we're doing articles of impeachment now. Uh, I wasn't there, Edward, at first, I have to tell you. I was slow. Coming to the impeachment table, I mean, we've only done that four times in history. It's, it's a big move to, to remove uh, an elected president. But I started reading the Mueller report, and I got about 80 pages into it. And, and I said, you know, I'm a former Pima County prosecutor. And I said, if I had got, gotten a report like this as a prosecutor, I would have already issued 15 different charges. And so I'm called for impeachment then. So I was one of the first to come out in favor of impeachment.
0: You said that you hear the uh, support for impeachment everywhere you go, but the district is not super uh, one way or the other in terms of party registration. Are you surprised that that's what you're hearing? I am surprised. You know, I mean, Cochise County has traditionally been the more
2: conservative part, of the district, and I'm still hearing it from people down there.
0: Do you do you hear people defending the the president, and do you hear anything from that side? I,
2: occasionally, occasionally. Uh, you know, I just did a Congress on your corner here at a Safeway uh, a couple of weekends ago, and there was a group of men who obviously uh, didn't agree with me. There were about five in the group who came, uh, and and they said. He said, you probably don't want to talk with us. And I said, yeah, I want to hear your point of view. You know, you have a point that you want to present. You know, come and let's talk. So we actually sat down at a table, and I visited with them for quite a while, and, and let them say their piece. So I want to hear from everybody.
0: Was there anything that they said that, that struck any kind of chord with you or changed the way you, you saw something? No. Or vice versa? No, no. But I wanted to hear them out. Okay.
1: Kind of again along those same lines of you having a, a kind of broad tent uh, in your district of constituents. Um, Yesterday, excuse me, last week, Speaker Pelosi came out and said that the Democratic candidates need to remember November and that um, what what works in San Francisco doesn't necessarily work in Michigan. Do you think that they're, especially with uh, policies like Medicare for All from some of the different candidates, that they're maybe going a little bit too far left and scaring some potential voters away with these policies?
2: I'm not feeling that, Edward, and I'm not seeing that at all. Uh, there are about five different versions of Medicare, like I said, and I'm looking at each one uh, to see which one I think uh, makes the most sense. Um, I do think everybody should have access Uh, to good health care, and Medicare is a system that works, uh, and maybe there's a way to allow people to um, get on Medicare. Uh, One of the proposals that makes sense to me is allowing people to buy into Medicare and actually pay a premium like they would for private insurance. That makes it paid for, uh, but we've got a lot of counties in Arizona that only have one insurance carrier so if people had the opportunity to buy into Medicare that would give them a second choice I think it's really important that people have choice in how they access their their health care
1: with with that being said then have has there been a candidate that's caught your eye or somebody that right now you'd be willing to endorse or throw your support behind
2: uh, there has not I have been watching the field and 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 um, you know their their positions on Medicare for all are are very different, and uh, there's not one single one that really makes sense to me. Uh, and so I'm still I'm still developing my mind and my opinion on that.
0: What about the thought that you know Democrats always screw things up, yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that even in this uh, atmosphere and in this election cycle that they're going to mess things up somehow and put up a candidate who can't win against Donald Trump. What are your thoughts on that?
2: I think that's a really important consideration. So that's why the Democratic caucus has come up with our own legislative priorities. So I think it's really important that we legislate, good legislation for the American people, and that we're not just talking about impeachment. Uh, We're there to make lives better for the American people. Uh, For example, uh, I support raising the minimum wage, uh, paying our workers more. I support uh, child care for uh, mothers who have to go to work. Uh, You know, there are things that we can do to help our workers do do a better job, Uh, and they should have good jobs, good paying jobs, but they also should be able to live on what they make.
1: Uh, Outside of impeachment, what what two things do you think that the public wants from Congress in the next year? I
2: I think they want a balanced budget Uh, I really do I think this funding the government on continuing resolutions is not good and and I'm especially hearing from from uh, people who access some of the uh, administrative agencies who don't know if they're going to be even open uh, next month Uh, and so you know the VA has done a good job of, of funding their budget uh, on a very stabilized basis, and and I think that we should do that overall for the country so people have the surety and, and the expectation and the knowledge of what services and departments they can depend on. But, you know, there's there's now bubbling up talk about if we do another CR to just December 5th, uh, that the government may shut down again. Uh, and that's been so expensive. I mean, that cost our, our state alone, uh, millions of dollars, uh, in lost revenue at our state parks and, and devastated our employees. So we, we want to, we'd like to avoid that, but it's troublesome that that, that talk is bubbling up again.
0: Mm-hmm. I was wondering with the, so much of what Donald Trump communicates comes through tweets and off the cuff sort of remarks, but with the California wildfires being what they are, Arizona has you know our own history with wildfires. Is there anything in any movement in that issue that has been going on? Are you troubled by what you hear with threats of uh, from the president about you know withholding assistance, that sort of thing? Very troubled very troubled so uh, Arizona's forests
2: are a tinderbox uh, you know we didn't get our summer monsoon season you drive through the White Mountains uh, up in northern Arizona all the stock tanks are dry all the ponds are dry uh, the forest is, is brittly dry uh, and, and I'm very very concerned that we could have those kinds of catastrophic wildfires in Arizona very concerned is there anything being done about that? Um, we're trying to to address the, as I said, the drought contingency plan uh, that would provide some water relief to some of those really drought-stricken areas, uh, but but it may not be enough. I mean, it. Yeah, I mean, we we need to have a good winter, and we need to have our good winter snows again in northern Arizona in the White Mountains.
1: So you were the subject of a GOP fundraising email that used a really provocative language, like, load me up and train my sights with ammunition. Um, as a representative in the same district that saw a mass shooting with a sitting Congresswoman attacked, number one, do you find yourself worrying for your safety? And number two, do you expect this to be kind of the norm in this upcoming election cycle?
2: Well, let me just say that my position on guns has evolved. Uh, So, you know, I grew up in rural Arizona, hunted with my dad, was a gun owner. Uh, And all of that changed for me when Gabby was shot. Gabby was my mentor in the state legislature. Uh, I was devastated by that. Uh, I have signed on to her legislation, H.R. 8, which calls for background checks. It's a very sensible bill. It even has some bipartisan support now. People realize that we've got to do something about this. And that that's a common sense approach, a first step that we can take right now, uh, and so we're hoping that that'll be taken up in the Senate. Uh, we've already passed it out of the house uh, and and hopefully the, the it'll be bipartisan in the Senate i think I think we can get this done.
1: Got gotcha. you, but do you think this is the sort of rhetoric that you'll be facing from GOP challengers? I hope in the not, I
2: hope not. I really hope that we can we can restore civility and and we've always run a positive, uh, campaign and not use that, that kind of rhetoric in our campaign. And we'll
0: continue to do that. You've been in Congress, um, previously. I'm wondering, uh, with the Republicans in control of the House and now with the Democrats and just the advent of, of how Congress operates or doesn't operate now, uh, with, with the Atmosphere in, in Trump. Can you just sort of reflect a bit on what the differences are and how that affects Arizonans? Sure. Uh, you know, I was first elected in two
2: thousand eight. Uh, I was able to get most, if not all, of the Arizona delegation to sign on into my legislation. It was very bipartisan. We met for breakfast once a month uh, in a bipartisan manner, Sen- senators and. House of Representatives members sat down for breakfast, talked about what we could do for Arizona. Uh, We don't have those breakfasts anymore. And I honestly have never seen Congress as divided and as divisive as it is right now. And that's too bad. I really don't think it's good for our country. So we've gone from the day when we had that kind of camaraderie, bipartisan camaraderie, could actually get things done for Arizona, to a situation where we're, we're basically in a stalemate.
1: Do you think that's the result of Donald Trump being in office? And if so, with if he were to be removed next year, do you think that could change and that perhaps there'd be a return to maybe a more civil environment?
2: I, I can't say that, that he's the cause. I just There's no evidence of that. So I, I can't really say that that's what's happening. Um, I am curious about it. Um, I still try to, to sit by my uh, Republican colleagues every week, every week, but they're not as forthcoming as they once were. Uh, and and you know, one sort of privately told me that uh, if, if they're seen cooperating with a Democrat, they're gonna get a primary opponent. Uh, and so that's happened to a couple of them already. Uh, and so I think that might be a chilling factor in their wanting to reach across the aisle and have that dialogue. Seen by who? By the Trump administration.
3: So,
0: Tim, do you have?
3: Well, it's we'll heading to that then. Um, if that's the problem, certainly impeachment isn't the solution. <laughs> so, how do you proceed with it, an impeachment that's just going to worsen this divide that you say is making work difficult, if not impossible? In the, in, the,
2: in the house, I, you know, Article One sets forth the the legislature's uh, powers, uh, the legislative branch powers, and I think we have a duty to the American people to conduct the uh, investigations. You know, six m- committees are doing their work. Uh, I think we have a, a duty to the American people to to make that report available to them so they can read it and draw their own conclusions. So that's where we are right now. Where it's ultimately going to end up, I can't say right now. Uh, But we need to do the thorough investigation. We need for the American people to know what's going on. Uh, And beyond that, I I just can't
0: speculate. Do you think that the knowledge of just basic civics, Article 1, the Constitution, who's supposed to do what in our system of government, I have been saddened by how I don't want to make, well, it is sort of a sweeping generalization, but just how non-inform, uninformed people are about our basic form of government.
2: It's too bad. You know, I, I, I have, none of my children had civics uh, in school, none of them. Uh, and so what we decided to do, we watched a lot of the History Channel, because uh, we wanted them to at least know some history and background about this country. Uh, but there are a lot of people who really just don't know uh, what what you know what's
0: involved and and what our Constitution is about. So how do we? I was just in Philadelphia and saw two copies of the Constitution in Independence Hall, and then at the Con- uh, Constitution Center, and they were both opened to the uh, page with the impeachment.
2: Oh interesting that's so interesting i I've been to both yeah, of those places yeah. that's yeah, I mean, interesting
0: and they, and they said you know they change pages every so often, but um so I thought that was um, maybe Quincy. Yeah, it's just Apparently, a coincidence just like the big line of impeachment books for sale in the gift shop oh but, yes um, how do we fix that? How do we educate people how do we um, get how do we transmit that information that that is so foundational to this entire conversation.
2: I think it has to be done locally, I really do. Uh, And so that's why I'm doing these Congress on Your Corner. Uh, It's an opportunity for me to talk one-on-one with people uh, and somewhat educate them to the process. Uh, But also, uh, we're doing town halls. So we're doing uh, our fourth town hall tomorrow night at Pima Community College. Uh, And it's a good opportunity. Ron will be the moderator. And he takes questions from the audience. A lot of them are the same questions, so he kind of distills them into a question. So it'll be from five thirty to six thirty at Pima Community College.
1: Which campus?
2: And it's at the downtown. No, no. One no. Broadway. no oh, okay, gotcha. Broadway. 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 Got it.
1: It's the border. Ah, uh, okay, gotcha. So I've got I got a question. Um, okay. So I think that a lot of the general public has one of two different views of what Congress people kind of do with their time, one being the uh, House of Cards kind of version of what goes on with Congress people, and then the other being just kind of they're out there just working all the way to the bone, you know, mm-hmm. to the grindstone sort of thing. Can you kind of describe what is your day-to-day in D.C. like? Sure. Yeah. Uh,
2: you know, when I was first elected, uh, Senator Kyle – as I said, kind of took me under his wing, and, and he said, "And there are, there are two kinds of members of Congress. There are workhorses and show horses. And you're going to be a workhorse, uh, and that's how I feel. I, I am working night and day uh, on legislation for Arizona, and I've had a good track record, uh, a really, really, really good track record of getting it done, and that's what I'm there to do. Uh, but it is a lot of work. Uh, it is not easy, and, and it's it's constant. Uh, and you know, you can." I say, you know, passing legislation is like eating an ice cream cone in Tucson in the middle of the summer. You think you've got it done, and it all of a sudden it's dripped away. <laughs> so uh, it's a never sure thing until it's never, you know, passed until it's passed. That. And so it's, 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 a, it's a full-time, constant job.
1: Is that going to come up for a vote? Is that going to pass?
2: I believe that's going to come up for a vote in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need it. Uh, NAFTA is long time overdue for, for um, as we know, modernization. Uh, and, but we need it. We need it. Uh, and so I was one of the first to come out and support, uh, in support of the NAFTA legislation because it's so important to southern Arizona's economy. So I hope that we um, – Leadership has said they'd like to pass it before the end of the year. Uh, I hope we pass it before the end of the month.
3: Can I follow up on that? I, I, maybe I'm misremembering the history here. It's my memory that you just came out in support of that sometime in the last two weeks to, to a month. You're and, right about that. Yeah, so uh, I, how, I, how can you be one of the first to have supported it then? Isn't that what you just said?
2: Oh, i I did just say that, but maybe you're right about that, Tim. Okay. Yeah. So yeah.
3: Um, what was the holdup for you in, in – um, you know, it's been that, a while since it, it was negotiated. Right. That, 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 that's right. Uh, the holdup
2: for me was labor, uh, and so we were pushing for some changes uh, in NAFTA. Uh, one was raising the minimum wage. Uh, so that that the uh, um, workers would be play, uh, paid, and then one was lowering prescri- prescription drug costs. So those were, those were the two top priorities that I was pushing for in the legislation.
1: What do you think is holding up, kind of more broad, uh, democratic support than for passing it?
2: I don't know. I wish I had a, an explanation for you, but I don't. I honestly don't know as i said i think there's a lot of misunderstanding of about nafta and about the border uh... and especially the farther away you get from it uh... and uh, and that may be just perception
0: with uh... you mentioned the drought contingency plan which kinda went down to the wire is is i recall yes um... what going forward uh... you know we have climate change we have you mentioned trying to eat an ice cream cone in the middle of a Tucson summer, which will get more and more difficult. But what is happening at this stage with water policy? What do, what do Arizonans need to be looking out for in terms of um, changes? Or I guess we all think generally water will be there. We know there's there are issues, but what from a, average arizonan kind of point of view can you share with with the precautions and the efforts that are being taken to make sure that we have a sustainable source of water
2: well the first thing is what we can do to take individual responsibility for conserving water uh, and just re-looking at how we use water as our personally and as our families uh and and making an effort to conserve uh, long-term there's talk about uh, at reactivating the desalinization plant in Yuma uh, and taking that gulf of, of uh, California water uh, and bringing it into Arizona. That is, that's going to be very expensive. So one way or the other, water's going to get expensive in Arizona. There's, there's no, just qu- no question about it. Then there's a group that's pushing for a pipeline uh, to run diagonally across Arizona, uh, through Nevada uh, and into Northern California, tapping into a water source there—that's also <laughs> just going to be very expensive. I don't know that—that that, that makes a lot of
0: sense. And I'm sure all those communities along that pipeline oh, sure. would be happy to see. Oh yeah, it, I'll see a pipeline yeah. pass by. Right, right. Um, okay. Um, other things that are kind of. Not as flashy or headlining as impeachment, that should be on the the radars of of Arizonans, specifically Southern Arizonans.
2: Yes, I I really think that the economic development is important, uh, and as I said, you know the University of Arizona is running some great programs uh, along that line, and and that's my focus is economic development, uh, but the University of uh, Arizona, I think, is a a leader in terms of a lot of research and development that can be used for economic development. Here in southern Arizona, I support their efforts. I've met with President Robbins several times to get his vision of how the university can help contribute to our economic development. You know, they're just, I mean, I'm a little biased since I'm an alum, but um, uh, I really think they're a great treasure for, for us. Uh, to use in terms of great ideas, innovation, moving southern
0: Arizona forward. And were you surprised, just to switch topics briefly, were you surprised by the vote on the sanctuary, Prop 205, and how big the margin against it was?
2: I, I, was, I was surprised at how big the margin was. Uh, I've said all along it's up to the Tucson citizens to make that decision, uh, but it was pretty overwhelming. Uh, so I was surprised when I saw the number last night. Uh, We were at the Hotel Congress watching the returns, and uh, overwhelmingly, uh, Tucson voices were heard, and they were heard very loud, (laughs) loud and clear.
0: Uh, How do you, was that something, the sanctuary effort, was that something you heard about from colleagues in Washington? Were people from elsewhere talking about it? People
2: were not really talking that much about it. Uh, It was much more a local issue. Uh, largely led by the by the churches here in southern Arizona uh, and that's who I was hearing from uh, pushing for pushing for that effort uh, and I understand where they're coming from uh, but and we've got to have uh, a humane process uh, for handling these people who are crossing into our country for safety reasons uh, and and we're not there yet uh, and we need to be
0: so I going back to the something you said earlier about how you think immigration can be wrapped up, solved, fixed within a year, given all the divisiveness that we've talked about, the obstacles, political and otherwise, um, is that realistic?
2: I think when you talk about it in terms of trade relations with Mexico, that that makes sense. So it kind of separates that, that issue from what's being talked about right now but but don't get me wrong there are good guys and bad guys at the border Uh, and and you know i have no no tolerance whatsoever for the bad guys Uh, but there are good people who want to come in to our country and contribute to our economy Uh, and so let's focus on the good guys and and making our economy stronger uh, creating good paying jobs Uh, we need that that workforce in arizona so i was just down on in uh, talk, in Yuma, talking with uh, uh, farmers down there. And of course, they want a, a very healthy, rapid guest worker program because they're getting ready to harvest their fields uh, in August, and and they needed the workers. Uh, and they said, we need a rapid guest worker program. We've worked with some of these people for generations. They've come over, harvested. They, want, they don't want to live here. They just want to, they've worked for us, then they go back and and stay in Mexico.
0: So we've got a lot of work to do. Is there a linchpin to that that you think you could get bipartisan support? Is trade that that issue? I think trade is that issue. I really do. Uh,
2: I think it makes sense. I think it makes sense um, nationally, Uh, and and it, it, it changes the dialogue.
0: Do you have any other questions? Oh, I'm what else do you think we should know? Well,
2: well you know, it's interesting that, uh, that, that that the president talks about these trade wars. Uh, and, and I just uh, came back from a 10-day trip to China, and they are very concerned about trade wars with the United States. So they count on being able to ship their goods here and have a, a robust trading relationship with our country. And I, I met with some of their members of parliament, uh, and they basically said, have you guys lost your mind? <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, it just doesn't make sense to them. And I tried to explain them, to them that Congress has a different position on trade from the president. But it was really hard for them to grasp that, what that meant because they have a very authoritarian system. And there's one message that goes out, and everybody's on point with that message, and they don't understand how we could have an independent Congress differing with the President and putting out a different kind of message. So um, it was important to have that conversation with them and uh, and build those relationships. So they are now gonna come to Washington, D.C which I think is going to be a, a great opportunity to continue to build that relationship, and then they can see that for themselves how our Congress works. So I'm excited about that.
0: What do you think they will see in terms I, of will see.
2: Working? I think they'll see vigorous debate. Uh, I think they'll see you know, different opinions debated on the floor. I don't think they have that kind of debate that we have on the floor of the House. Uh, and it's something I've come to treasure more and more and more about our system is that we thoroughly debate this legislation in front of the American people. They can see what's going on, and I don't think they have that kind of transparency and accountability.
0: And uh, to circle back to the impeachment, you were uh, you came out uh, saying they're calling for an investigation uh, from the Mueller report. Now that there's all the Ukraine stuff – has that changed what you think should be the the basis for impeachment, or is how do you, how do you view it now? What do you think would be the most uh, the the strongest way to to move forward?
2: I think what we're doing right now, having the committees do their investigations, uh, they're calling me- member in members of the. Administration some of them are ignoring the subpoenas It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. We've never faced that in our country before Uh, And uh, it's disturbing to me because the American people deserve to know uh, And the fact that this president is blocking that that effort um, Really really disturbs me. So we'll see. We'll see what happens.
0: And what about the idea that some people have have kind of put forward that yeah he he did that he had those conversations but that's not an impeachable offense that that's okay to do yeah
2: no, I think I think they're wrong about that quite honestly uh, when you're asking a foreign country to deliver uh, political consequences to your to your opponent uh, I think I think that violates everything in our constitution and it's morally morally reprehensible.
0: Okay. Any other thoughts or questions? No. All right. Thank you. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for your time. You're yes, welcome. Thank You're so welcome. Your oh,